Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those boys. That's... Yeah. <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. What are you talking about? What did you want? I'd like to stay alive. I'd say it to you, face. I'll say it to you now. I'm down to one field. What you're doing down here, you're showing me, man. Hello and welcome to Monday's Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast. Oh, my David here with Kieran Murphy at Studio in Dublin. Hello there, Owen. Hi, Kieran. How are you doing? Ken Erdy is doing today's show. I'm a bit jealous to say it. From lovely Lisbon. Hi, Ken. Bom dia, Owen. Um... Precisely. Hope you guys are keeping it keeping it together back home. Oh, just about, yeah. You tell us what you're doing. You're doing a little bit of web summiting in Lisbon this week. Oh, just just over here, joining in the scattering of uh, tech leaders. Um, there's a lot of incredibly important people at the sports summit, <clears throat> as you can imagine. Um, so, uh, so yeah, pretty much my uh, my milieu these days, aren't. Uh, are you hanging out with the content creatives or are you more sort of with the innovators? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, um, I'm, I'm with the journalists, actually. Oh, right, okay. I, I'm with the journalists, the bitter clingers. <laughs> uh, I don't know if we've even got a part in this, the brave new world these people are uh, unleashing upon us. But uh, for the time being, hanging in there. So, uh, you know, let's party. We're going to talk to Richie Sadler in studio shortly. We're going to have Tony Barrett on Liverpool's domination of the Premier League this year. We'll go with that for the time being. Uh, a little bit later on on the podcast, but I want to bring in a little bit of this first. I've got a call here that says, you're the most boring, predictable, condescending interviewer around. Go back to lecturing. You have the charisma of a sick bag. Oh God. That's just it. I just Whoa. mentioned, not you, no me. Okay, ain't nobody fucking with my click, 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 click. Ain't nobody fresher than my mom. We don't normally click, broadcast all click, the, the stuff that click, comes from scum click, around the country. Click. You may well remember last week's piece of scum, Kieran Brennan, who texted in to, or emailed in I should say to secondcaptainsatirishtimes.com to talk about the time he socialised with Jonathan Pierce Murph BBC oh, commentator yeah, yeah, yeah. in a Canadian bar in Paris so he said he had a few while well, he was working there but he managed to sit down for a beer or two and a few bites of a Canadian delicacy called well I called it Poutan <laughs> a ton of people have been in touch about this many many people including I picked out Jessica Marsano's email so Jessica is today's comeback Congratulations, yes. Congratulations to you. Dear Second Captains, I'm a massive fan of your show and I'm here to help. I know you didn't mean to insult what passes for a Canadian cuisine. Poutan, pronounced poutine. Stress on the second syllable. Poutine is a dish from the French province of Quebec in Canada and it is the finest food God ever created. French fries, gravy and cheese curds. Curds? Best eaten with a pint or a glass of some red if you're feeling posh. <laughs> if you've never eaten any, you're suffering a lack in your life. I enclose a picture of this finest of foods. For the record, a mispronunciation of the word poutine is a very naughty French word. Best not to mis- mispronounce it again. That has been pointed out to me by quite a few people. I think Simon also did mention it in brief on air uh, last week as well. Yeah. Poutin means something quite different to Poutine. Murph, I'm going to give you a picture, a look at the picture that Jessica has enclosed It's like a gravy here. chip. Yeah, basically. I'm going to say this does not look... Okay, it depends what frame of mind you're in. Yeah. Whether or not this looks tasty. If you're 
Well, if you've had a number of pints on board, or maybe it's the next day after you had a number yeah. of pints previously, it, it, it looks amazing. It doesn't look like a first date kind of, <laughs> kind of, uh, kind of meal. Sort of chips and gravy, really. Is what well, it yeah, is it's basically Northern point. Ireland's uh, contribution to world cuisine is what it looks like to me, to be honest. The gravy chip. Uh, other than that, I mean, I, I don't know. Am I missing something? Like, does cheese curds really make that much of a difference <laughs> to a gravy chip? It's all in the cheese curd. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure. Ken, you're impressed with Liverpool? Yes, it seems like every week now the opposition manager just talks about how great, how blown away they were by Liverpool's brilliance. That's true, actually. It's, it's happening a lot. I was on Pardew last week. Um, this week, I mean, the Watford players are, were just going nuts. Nuts for Liverpool. Um, obviously, they lost 6-1. Um, I mean, there was a lot of... Uh, it was a hugely impressive performance. I mean, this is a, the most shots on target any team has had since they started measuring this. So that's 12 seasons, nearly, what, 4,500-odd games. Um, 17 shots on target was the most anyone has actually managed in a game. And, you know, they had a couple of uh, near misses as well. I mean, just a hugely impressive performance. I mean, after Chelsea had really put it up to them, I, I think, as well, you know, Chelsea's demolition job on Everton... Uh, I mean, Diego Costa, I can't think of the last time I saw a guy on this kind of mission. Probably he's he's playing as well as any striker in the Premier League has since Luis Suarez. Luis Suarez had that great season. Um, and this is, uh, he's, it's like, I think he maybe feels a little bit about English football kind of the same way Luis Suarez did. Uh, I'm not sure he really loves it. Um, actually, I think he probably despises it. But like Suarez that year, he's decided that the best way to to uh, to respond is to just bring the entire league to heel. So that's uh, that's pretty much what Diego Costa's doing at the moment. But Chelsea having won 5-0, uh, Liverpool then went and won 6-1. So these are the two leaders. Well, Liverpool point ahead of Chelsea. And um, yeah, both looking, uh, both looking incredibly strong. I mean, neither team involved in European football. Maybe the best two teams in English football aren't playing in Europe. And... Uh, it's a bit of a shame, actually, although I, su- I suppose on one level, both sides will be kind of, uh, you know, relieved that they don't have to play all those extra games uh, and can maybe keep this sort of form going in the league. Yeah, well, that's a good point. I mean, the, there was a lot of consternation around Manchester United's performance against Fenerbahce the other night, but it's pretty clear Manchester United don't want to be, don't want to be in that competition. And while everybody wants to be in the Champions League, the you know, for a team like Liverpool and Chelsea are benefiting pretty... Um, pretty extensively at the moment from a lack of involvement, it looks like. It's true, although didn't Mourinho, Mourinho said last week, look, this competition has, has already changed for us. You know, that that uh, because the Europa League winner gets into the Champions League, Manchester United are now increasingly forced to look at it as, you know, um, an option, uh, a, a way of qualifying for the Champions League that can no longer be discounted. Given that the top four is already looking a little bit dodgy. I mean, there's five strong teams ahead of them. And, okay, you know, no one would say it's it's impossible for Manchester United to, to claw back, claw their way back into that sort of position. But you wouldn't, you know, this, they, they haven't shown anything over the first, you know, quarter, third of the season to uh, to suggest that they will. So uh, Mourinho's kind of looking at that Europa League now and thinking, well, maybe I can't afford to be so blasé about this competition. Of course, it's the question of getting out of the group, which is by no means uh, guaranteed at this point. So uh, I don't know, but I, I don't think that they have the luxury at the moment of discounting those games in quite the manner that Jose Mourinho had imagined at the start of the season that they would. Not quite as many fireworks in the North London derby. What did you make of Arsenal Spurs? Yeah, it wasn't a great game, really. I mean, the one sort of memory I, I guess you'll take for the game is just how tough... Tottenham are how kind of difficult they are to to beat. I mean, I, I have to say, you know, they're they're really struggling to score goals at the moment compared to some of the teams who are trying to keep up with. I mean, they've got half as many goals as Liverpool uh, in the, the 15 goals to 30, you know, over this um, over the first 11 matches. Um, and I didn't expect them to be able to get back in the game once they went behind with the young goal, um, but they did, and they they forced Arsenal back. Um, they're a very, very difficult team to beat. Uh, I'm not quite sure what psychological switch Mauricio Pochettino needs to find. Uh, his team are always capable of scoring when they're losing and not so much when they're drawing. And it must be pretty frustrating for him. Uh, but at least 
you know, they're not losing uh, and they're still sort of still sort of in there. Uh, did they look as revitalized with Harry Kane back in the lineup as we thought they were going to? No, because I mean, no sooner does no sooner they get Harry Kane back in the lineup than they lose Stella Alley. So, you know, he's just as important as Kane. Well, nearly as important as Kane, um, who himself I don't think was was really fully fit. It was just that they were so desperate they 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 needed him. Uh, so Pochettino said, "You're fit." <laughs> uh, Harry Kane said, "Okay." I don't think he's the only manager doing that. Uh, no, I think we might get onto that a little bit. Yeah, poor old Josie's had a bit of a pop at uh, um, these boys. But yeah, I mean, and and I suppose the good uh, thing for, from about Arsenal and Tottenham's point of view is Manchester City failing to win. I mean, this is incredible. I mean, it's looking at some some of the statistics. I mean, the game that I was actually watching was on the three o'clock on Saturday. So I was watching the Sunderland uh, match, which was on TV, and the Sunderland match was was amazing. You know this. Uh, <laughs> This uh, long-awaited victory for them, but um, had seen some statistics at halftime in the Man City game suggesting that it might be pretty much the most one-sided game in the history of the Premier League. Uh, I think Middlesbrough had completed four passes in Manchester City's half in the first half, so that didn't sound good. When Manchester City were winning, I thought, well, Man City probably win that. It was actually only later on that I realised that Middlesbrough had equalised the last minute. <laughs> Unbelievable! But on the Plus side for Manchester City, the new Pep book is out. Oh, mm. the follow-up to Pep Confidential. Yeah, uh, it's Pep Evolution, and um, or in Spanish, it, it appears to be called Pep Guardiola La Metamorphosis. The meta, the metamorphosis, I guess. Yeah, from uh, from awesome, uh, you know, Champions League winning coach of Barcelona to Manchester City manager. Via Byron, <laughs> um, but you know it's it's. I mean, I, I haven't read of it only only the first few pages, but already I think this book may be even better uh, than the uh, than Pep Confidential, which, as you recall, uh, was an interesting uh, book full of uh, full of fascinating information, uh, and yet hobbled somewhat by its uh, rather breathless tone. Uh, would worshipful be too much to say? I'm not. I'm not sure. But look, um, let me just read you the first. Uh, can I? Can I just read you the first couple of paragraphs? Please do. I mean, I they're, they're not long paragraphs. Yeah, sure. Okay. Chapter one: The Chameleon. Epigraph says here: It is ideas, not machines, which drive the world. That's uh, Victor Hugo. So anyway, line one. Woody Allen smiled his iconic dry grin as he greeted Guardiola. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hooked. I'm hooked right yeah, here. This is going to be a bird birder. Great to meet you, Pep, but you may find us boring company tonight. None of us are particularly interested in football. Dot, dot, dot. No problem, Woody. I love cinema. And aren't you a basketball fan? Maybe we could talk about the Knicks instead. The next couple of hours flew by as the conversation and wine flowed. The New York Knicks' uphill struggles were debated back and forth. Pep, a devoted fan of Greg Popovich, was in his element. The Catalan has a reputation for being intense, dogmatic, and stubborn. In fact, he's quite the reverse. <laughs> 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 Not at all intense, dogmatic, or stubborn. A natural chameleon, Pep knows instinctively how to adapt to every situation. And this natural ability proved vital to his success in Germany. Blah, 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 blah. Anyway, as far as I can see, that's the last mention of Woody Allen. Um, I don't really understand why the book started there. I mean, we don't... Well, that's a colourful... Maybe... Clearly, it's a colourful anecdote involving a much-recognised international figure from... Uh, also from... Which was able to showcase the vast interests that Mourinho has. Or there, I should say, that Pep has... Guardiola. Uh, Pep has outside yeah. of simply football I also believe he's interested in chess Ken I'm probably I'm probably uh, there's a bit of a spoiler alert here but I was reading an article about the book chess is another great interest of his and I'm sure there'll be plenty more besides and rugby rugby as well well uh, certainly uh, Gary Kasparov would be a, a good friend of Pep's I would, as would uh, Eddie Jans the uh, celebrated coach of the England national rugby team who uh, as manager when he was coach of Japan went to uh, study Pep and it, well, to study Pep's methods, more to, more to the point, rather than actually studying Pep himself. But yeah, I mean, maybe Woody Allen is going to come back into this narrative at some point and, and actually say something. Um, 
maybe maybe he will because I haven't read I haven't read enough of the uh, book. It, I mean, I've, I've read like probably the first ten or fifteen percent of it, which isn't a lot. Um, and and the two main bits in it so far have been uh, is it Manel Estiar, who is the former water polo player, the greatest water polo player of all time, according to uh, Marty Perrin. I mean, I don't know too many water polo players. I always thought water polo was kind of a Hungarian thing. Um, but it could well be the case that uh, Guardiola's assistant is the greatest water polo player of all time. Certainly a water polo player of renown. That much isn't in doubt. And he pinpoints a trend in the game by which the top teams have become so good that you're seeing this increasing pattern of those very same top teams being beaten 4, 5, and 6 nil in weird games that just go wrong. Uh, the glass jaw... Uh, syndrome. Uh, Barcelona, we saw it when Barcelona lost 7-0 to Bayern Munich over two legs. Uh, we saw it uh, maybe when Chelsea beat Man United 4-0. I don't know if Man United are in that class. When, when obviously Real Madrid beat Bayern 4-0. When Germany beat Brazil 7-1. Uh, and he reckons that uh, what, the, what the top teams need is a bit of that old Balkan water polo attitude where he, he would frequently come up against these Balkan water polo teams who, who basically you know, couldn't really swim weren't fit to share the share the pool with uh, with the Spanish guys but they had such fighting spirit they'd claw at your face until you had to knock the air out of their lungs and sink them to the bottom of the pool before they would give up and we just we need to maybe get a bit more of that in football I mean that's that's a lengthy digression from from SCR which is you know it's a, I suppose it's an interesting idea and then Pep talking about why, or, or rather, Marty Paranao saying why Pep has joined Manchester City. And it's actually quite interesting, just the, the way in which they speak about Manchester City as effectively a non-club. It's like, you know, uh, you know, at Barca, Pep, of course, has managed huge historic institutions such as Bayern Munich and Barcelona. Uh, these are clubs with a, a, a huge tradition and history. And Pep knew that he could only ever be a small part of their history. Uh, and, you know, people are always saying, well, this is the way we do things here. We've always done things that way here. And that was fine. He respected their traditions. But Manchester City is a club which has no tradition, no history. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's literally like Manchester City is just this, like, new franchise, like this blank. They use the phrase blank slate and so on and so forth. Now, I know. Fair enough. Franny Lee, you know, mightn't be the kind of guy who would, who would really float Pep Guardiola's boat favoring as he does those mobile elusive modern forwards you know Franny Lee or, or Pep Guardiola Dennis Stewart maybe maybe that's unmoved uh, by by a player of the class of Dennis Stewart but like the idea that Man City is just a club with no history just seems a bit I don't know I don't know I, don't, I think I think there's a little bit more to Manchester City than that although I suppose maybe that's maybe it's reflective of the way the owners see it certainly it seems to have been what they were telling Pep Guardiola in their uh, negotiations when they were trying to sign him up, uh, which, of course, uh, a process which ended uh, with uh, with success. All right, we're joined in studio by the undoubted star of the Second Captain Sports Annual Volume 2, Richie Sadler. How are you? Pants, how are you doing? You well? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> oh, of course, yeah, that's public now. Yeah, oh yeah, it's all out there. It's all out. The uh, the first it's, copies will be... It's, it's like you didn't understand the the whole the premise there. We'll have, a great, we'll have a great time. We'll take some photographs. We'll write some stupid nonsense and then... We can forget about it, and it'll never, it'll never see the light of day again. It, but it was, no. it was a lot of fun. Mm. It was. It was one of the f- most fun days of my <coughs> working career. Well, we don't want to give but too much away because most people haven't seen it just yet. But uh, it's, it's my life, say, basically. Your it's life. my life. It's an insight into how every day in my life is like. A, a lot, lot of dogs, 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 and carpentry, uh, dogs and carpentry. Okay, that's enough. Yeah. That's okay, we won't say anymore. No. Yeah, too much of a tease. Man United are back on track, Richie, and uh, we should be talking here about the couple of goals by Zlatan, Paul Pogba showing his his class and all that kind of stuff. But this, it's another game that there's a bit of bad feeling around. I think it's probably fair to say, well, maybe that's a bit bit much. But Mourinho talking before the game to MUTV, he was going through the team and he was saying, Smalling doesn't feel that he can play 100% with his pain. Luke Shaw told me this morning that he was not in the condition to play. So we had to build a new defensive line. Daily Blind has had some problems, <clears throat> excuse me, but he put himself available to be on the bench and to try to help the team. So the people that are here are the people that I trust for a difficult match. 
went on, played the game, won the game uh, 3-0, 3-1 was it in the end? And afterwards, he went into quite a bit of detail about all this. He said, it's not just the players, it's players and people that surround the players. Uh, it takes time to change, but with the help of people like Phil Jones, who was playing without even having trained, Ashley Young, Wayne Rooney, with these people, it will not be impossible uh, an impossible mission, but a possible mission. So it seems like he's thrown a couple of his players under the bus there for not playing while 100% fit. Yeah, he is. And I suppose we don't know exactly what the the extent of those injuries were or how close they were to making themselves available to play. But it's just that it, it's not he's not the first manager to come out and say it. Um, but it's this whole question of, you know, are you are you what's the difference between being in pain and being injured? And, you know, what's your pain threshold? And it's just all those the, even the phrases he used, like you know, help the team and, and, and trust. And then this little kind of snide reference to people around the players as if they're they've other other um, priorities other than the team and all that kind of stuff. So it's uh, I thought I didn't think it was necessary. I mean, if he if he thinks those two players, for example, could have played or or should have played, or he's disappointed with them, get him in a room and tell them that. I don't think there's anything we gain by kind of publicly, kind of half mocking them really for it, it's kind of this implied weakness or that it's you know you should be tougher. You should be you should be totally sold on the idea that this is a group thing. This is all about the team. And you need to make yourself available for the team. Like even the reference to Blind, well, at least he made himself available for selection. Um, it's something I I I was really bad at. I, I never I I never properly was able to judge my own body as to when I could actually get through a game. I I fell fell too much of trying to be the guy that the manager would like. Are you supposed to be the best judge of your own body? That's the great cliche. Yeah, but I, I I never was, as it turned out. I I always want. I I never wanted to be someone that the manager would speak about like that. Yeah. I I always wanted to be, and I think most people, maybe most lads do. You want to be the, the he's one of the team. You can trust him. He's dependable. All those kind of things, which is fine. But it doesn't mean when you're injured, it means you have to play on the injury, which is what I did a load of times. And, and uh, were you helping the team? Were you not at being all. the right, being the sort of player your manager would like by playing while injured? No, because you, you, you think I'm obviously talking about Millwall, which is a, at the time was a particular culture, and 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 things like that, playing through pain, and and being the hard man, and giving the impression you'll do anything for the club. That was that was the thing. So I thought I need to row in behind that and, and do all that. So. There was like I remember we'd we'd one game, it was a pre season friendly against Tottenham at our training ground. George Graham was the manager. I remember Ginola was playing and all that. And I remember walking up and I think I had a problem with my knee and I was in bits and I couldn't sprint, I couldn't turn, I couldn't do anything. But I didn't on the morning of the game and this is a nothing game. Like there's nothing of least less significance than a training ground friendly with nobody watching in pre season. It's just a fitness exercise. And I was afraid to say to them, I said, listen, my knee's a bit bandy. Because I didn't want the accusation of, you know, he doesn't want it or he doesn't fancy it or he's he's no longer dependent. So I played and within about 10 minutes I hobbled off. And then over the course of the the, the next couple of days I actually said to the physio that I was really struggling beforehand. And he ripped me to shreds. And he told the manager, and the manager ripped me to shreds. And then it's this thing of you've got to be professional. If you don't tell us we can't protect you, you've got to protect yourself. So... Which is the very thing that maybe Shaw and Smalling are doing. I said, actually, I, I, I don't think I can play on this. I, I, I'm, there's only one way of finding out, of course. But my gut feeling is that I can't. Yeah. And then the, the, the best outcome is if you play and you don't have any kind of flare up in the injury and everyone, everything's grand. But anything other than that, you just feel like an idiot. You just go, Why did I care? Even yesterday's game, let's say they played and they got injured. So why do we care? It's a league game. Why? Be professional. Be so. What if Marina has a go at me? I need to be bigger than that. I need. I need to be okay with the fact that maybe some of the media are going to write that I'm a bit soft, or some of the fans are going to believe what Mourinho says. And Mourinho says, maybe I can't be trusted. Maybe I'm going to have to suffer that. But at least I won't be injured. Ken, was Mourinho bang out of order? Um. Well. In general terms, I would say no. Actually, I think uh, I think he's entitled to put pressure on his players to play these games. Um, I think uh, in in the particular terms of his his ongoing conflict with Luke Shaw, I can't help but suspect that maybe <laughs> maybe he's he's sort of justifying his own stance towards Luke Shaw 
um, he, you know, he's bringing in sort of new, he's, he's firing new stuff at Luke Shaw, who's a player who we, we know he's already had a couple of issues with. You know, this was a player who he decided to single out for criticism before. Um, and I think now to, there may be an element to, to which he is, um, uh, he's kind of saying, well, look, this is the kind of guy Luke Shaw is. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't care about the club. He doesn't believe in the manager. And he's not prepared to put his body on the line. <laughs> I mean, they're not Jose Mourinho's actual quotes, but they—they they are. Uh, that's pretty much the implication of what he's saying. So let's leave let's leave aside the question of whether Jose Mourinho is speaking about Luke Shaw entirely in good faith. That's something which which maybe you need to know more about. You know, the inside situation uh, than we do. Uh, but in general terms, the idea of of putting pressure on players to ignore minor injuries uh, for the sake of participating in important games, I think is something that every top manager does. Uh, I mean, it's not long ago I can remember Jurgen Klopp mm. saying Daniel Sturridge needs to know the difference between real pain and just pain. You know, clearly, in his opinion, there was a kind of, there was a class of a sort of sub-injury that might keep Sturridge out of a game if he was feeling, you know, in a... Oh, a little bit uh, off colour that day, he might decide not to play when, in fact, he was he was physically able to play. Uh, you know, from a manager's point of view, you need players to be willing to do that. I mean, Mourinho has fetishised this in the past, obviously, with, with players like John Terry and Frank Lampard, who gave interviews um, more or less when they, you know, took off their shoes and, and showed their like uh, broken, pustulant feet uh, and said, "Look at these." You know, a lot of people wouldn't be able to walk around on these. Uh, but I played the full season. You know, I mean, didn't didn't Lampard play half a season with a broken toe or something insane like that? You know, and uh, you know that's that's one of the reasons why Lampard set didn't Lampard set a, also set an outfield record for the number of consecutive Premier League games played. You, can, you don't do that unless you've got that attitude, and all the top managers demand it. You know, Ferguson is so different. I mean, you can remember Ferguson playing Wayne Rooney. Uh, who had torn ankle ligaments uh, in a game against Bayern Munich because it was an important game. You could, I, I mean, I remember reading a piece by Rob Smythe, which which sort of argued that Wayne Rooney had never actually been the same since that day. But at least he played. There was Pep Guardiola. He uh, in the Champions League final of 2009. Andres Iniesta was injured, uh, had 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 this torn muscle in his groin for a long time. He was, you know, he was on the way back to recovery, but not fully recovered. Played him, of course he played him. It's a it's a big game. Get out there. Okay, I suppose this Swansea game isn't quite in the, the class of a Champions League final, but still, you know, Manchester United are in a difficult situation. They're under pressure. They need a lot. They need every point they can get. They need every player that they have to be counted on. And you know, if 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 Mourinho thinks that players are excusing themselves from duty with injuries, which ultimately don't really require that, then yeah, I, th- I think he is entitled to uh, call it. And I think most other managers. Most other ambitious managers would probably do the same thing. Some players do stand up to it, though, don't they? Was it Ruud van Nistelrooy who Roy Keane talked about in his book mm. about uh, the, re- the respect that he now has for players like that who weren't afraid to say to Alex Ferguson, actually, no, I've got a bit of a knock here. That's another, that's another situation, though, isn't it, where you're not, you're not sure... <laughs> there's a, there's a history between the, the two of the parties I'm talking about there, is that... Were you going to say exactly? I mean, right. yeah, I'm I'm not sure how much Roy Keane's current attitude on that. I mean, there's a couple of things going into it. Number one is the fact that he had to retire uh, through injury. Well, I mean, he you know he retired at uh, he was coming up on 35. Uh, most most players are at least thinking about retiring at that stage. But he did have ultimately a bad degenerative uh, hip injury, uh, which he obviously feels was aggravated by the fact that he frequently was one of those players who played injured. I mean, and he talks about it now, now that he's the Ireland assistant manager. He talks about the need to play through knocks. I mean, wasn't he doing it in the Euros with James McCarthy? Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, he, he, that was always his attitude at the time. I think maybe when he was writing that book and he was mainly thinking about how to get back at Alex Ferguson, he maybe was thinking about it in terms of, oh, I've got, I've got new respect for Rue. But at the time, at the time, I'm sure he was looking at Finisher and thinking, what's, what's wrong with you? We need you. You know, I can't believe that you're you're letting an injury like this keep you out. Um, so at the time, I, I'm, I'm sure he wouldn't have felt the, the the respect that he talks about having now. He would have had, he would have looked at Van Nistelrooy as being a bit of a chicken and a bit of a an unreliable uh, guy. I mean, a, a great player for sure, but 
you know, it's no use being a great player if, you're, if you've if you just ruled yourself out of the game. You've got to be pretty ballsy as a player to stand up to a manager in this sort of situation, though, Richie, don't you? And surely that, that depends on your status in the team as well. Maybe a, a proven warrior is going to be cut a little more slack than... than although, you know, like Luke Shaw is clearly a good player. Smalling has been uh, an important player for Manchester United. So and, and yet they seem to be catching a bit of flack from Mourinho. But it, it seems a strange one that they're... You, know, you, you, know, you like to think of a football club as this happy kind of family where everyone's rowing in the same direction. But it's almost like this is one of a million different internal battles that are constantly going on, even between a player and the manager. There's loads and there's also often running battles between the medical staff and the coaching staff because the medical staff might see it as their job to protect the player, protect the welfare of the player or to give what would be the like the sensible... The, 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 the medical arguments for not playing and the manager is just... The manager can be in all sorts of pressures himself. A couple of results away from being sacked or it's an important game or the alternatives are, are pretty poor by comparison. So you have all these kind of battles going on but you're right it, do, it does take a certain strength to be able to sit there and maybe be the only voice in the room saying I'm not going to play and you might have the physio saying well, listen son I, I, you know, I've watched your rehab you're fine the assistant manager saying listen we need you football wise or the manager saying listen whatever when we're sitting down having the contract talks and blah 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 this isn't the type of player I thought I was signing this isn't this isn't this isn't what I signed up to here. So, and you, to be able to sit there and say, "Listen, I'm not playing." I I did it, a f- I did a few times. Like throughout my, after getting my initial hip injury, I um, I mean, I I, I wrote the book in how not to do it. Right? It, it was, it was it was laughable how how easily I was allowed myself to be kind of bullied into playing and pushing and just give it a go, son. You know, we're, we're going for promotion here. You've just had an Irish cap, you know, the World Cup's... Okay, yeah, okay, I know, I'll, I'll be fine. And, and like, I couldn't... Try, I, I had Frank at the time, God rest his soul, and, and I would get up in the morning and I'd walk Frank and I would limp. I would be physically... Like, I'd be limping, like walking a, like a dog. And um, then I'd show up in training and, and I'd kid myself into thinking, I, I can do a bit here. And you go, oh, come on. Like, I'd bend over to kind of rinse my mouth after brushing my teeth and my hip would be sore and I'd go into the match. Okay, yeah, boss, I'll give it a go. And I know, like, there's no way in the world I was, I was ready for it. But again, I didn't want to be that guy. I didn't want to be the one who'd show up in the day of a match and go, boss, I, I don't think I'm up to this. Because the possible interpretation of that from someone else was, geez, maybe Richie's a bit soft. Mm. And that's the worst thing that you can be called. And that's why this is quite damaging for these players, potentially, if, they're man- if yeah, well, their manager's putting it out there that they're, they're, not, they're not up for it. Yeah, on the other hand, though, maybe Luke Shaw and Chris Mulling are making a calculation here that uh, their Manchester United, Manchester United career is going to go on a bit longer than uh, Jose Mourinho's. I mean, the, like the Shaw, Shaw one is very interesting because from, from the point of view of, of his Manchester United career to date, there is uh, suffers horrific broken leg, uh, becomes a firm fan's favourite because he tweeted a couple of photographs of himself on a hospital bed saying that he will be returning to action soon uh, comes back this year gets savaged by Mourinho like plays a couple of games since then and now this I mean basically the only thing he's done in his Manchester United career so far really has been to suffer a horrendous injury and battle back bravely uh, and yet and, and now this is kind of thrown in his thrown in his face I mean what I would say is the guy's probably just being a good professional and uh, and it's it's, uh, it's it's just kind of bizarre dude, that he's the guy that's in the middle of all this. Again, it's that even even when you're like it's it's sometimes viewed with such suspicion by the coaching staff. If you if you are you know that good professional, if you demonstrate anything that even resembles kind of independent thought, if you're doing anything other than toe the line, then you go whoa, because is is this is this fella to be trusted here? You know, we have a big game. It's all this we we we. And then if someone else is, is, is basing his decisions on what's best for me, like I, well, hang on. He's not a company man. Not a company. You need to be. You need to be that. We we this ridiculous routine in, in, in the Millwall physio um, room where the, the physio would ask you to rate the pain that you were in from one to ten. Right. Um, now, now, this scale works if, if, you, if you agree in advance that there's a particular number, which is the number at which you're ready to play. Okay. Okay. But so he, at seven out of ten, I'm so, good to go, kind of thing. Exactly. How far off seven are you? Because if you're a seven, you can play. But he would go scale of one to ten. What are you? And I go, I don't know, say six, seven. He goes, you telling me you can't play in a six and a seven? Like Murph over there played in a nine last week. <laughs> 
So you go, okay, right. I, I've learned. So next time I'm going to get asked, I, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, go lower. You, you've got to exactly. So oh, sorry, higher, higher, yeah, yeah, higher. How sorry, are you now from one to ten? Jesus, I'm an eight or a nine. And he's, you're an eight and nine, on a tight hamstring. <laughs> Murph over there broke his leg, and he said he was eight. And you, oh God, okay, right. I'll, I'll, so you don't work out. What's the best answer here? Just to get through this ridiculous exchange and be left sitting on the physio bed because I'm too damn sore to run. Get off the case. Sports science has moved on a small bit since then, I think. It's just the rather crude rating system. You were at Land's End Road yesterday to watch the cup final. Big, the, I suppose the biggest story surrounded the identity of the winning goal scorer, so if people didn't see it at the last minute, it, it, injury time of extra time, everyone thinking about penalties, including Sean Maguire who scored the goal. Mm-hmm. He said he'd spent the previous 10 minutes thinking about where he was going to put his penalty and then a, a ball f- bounces around the box. He knocks it in. He's got an interesting backstory. He kind of d- didn't make it in England and had a bit of a stint with Dundalk before uh, coming back to haunt them. He did. He, he, he was over in West Ham and he came back and, and, and things didn't work out great from at Dundalk and he's had the season of all seasons for like th- this year. He's, 29 goals, same as Richie Tao last year. Yeah, he's finished top scorers in the Irish under-21 team. He's scoring there. He got voted the Young Player of the Year and yesterday got the winning goal in the last minute of extra time of the FAI Cup final. But I, I like what he's done and I think sometimes people can underestimate how difficult a, a journey it is when you go to England first of all and then when you go from England back to Ireland and how that's perceived and because straight away people go you know, you've come back you, you've failed your, your tail's between your legs you know the, your, your career is going backwards and you just the assumption is right you haven't made it it's not like this is a little bump in the road or you know brilliant you can take that two or three years of coaching that you've had at a really high level and put it to good use at this club and build it's not phrased like that it's like no he's, he's back he's no he's back he got binned he got he got turfed out so that can take its toll and I've spoken a lot to the PFAI actually over the last couple of years and they're kind of a little bit more open with how many players find that so difficult and the numbers of them who do come back who don't actually even look for a club a league of Ireland club yeah or even they might half-assed approach at a junior football for a while and it's just this it's almost like they take the, the, the release from the English club and the journey back to Ireland as well that's it confirmation that the dream is over and maybe you know a release from an English club most times it doesn't come out of the blue you know months and months in advance that things aren't going your way you haven't been picked the manager's blanking you someone else is getting picked all the time so it's never that much of a surprise so often your your commitment and the work you put in will dip as well because you know you're out the door so you've spent the last few months of your English career not really putting it in no. Fitness may be dropping. Yeah, you know, falling out of love with the game, whatever, which <laughs> means you're out in the piss all the time or whatever because, you know, you're, you're not being wanted where you are and you come back and then it's like, can I really dig deep and go again? So a lot of lads just don't have within them what, like, Sean Maguire has had. Keith Fahey was another example. He came back and, and he did really well and went away again. So um, I love seeing players doing that. Yeah, it's great. And then Maguire had the double blow that he came back, went to Dundalk, didn't did, you know? Didn't get as much game time as he wanted. Had to move on from there, and that could be a particularly crushing blow given what Dundalk have been doing. Uh, so, so to actually rebound at their at their biggest rivals and come back and score the winning goal is pretty impressive. It's great as well because, it, like, it is hard. I, I, I was never kind of released from a club, but I've spoken to loads of lads who have been, and I've been in conversation with loads in, in the build up to being released and, and after they've been released, and to a load of lads who've come home here and. Like it, 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 take, it does take a lot to keep going. Which might, people listen to this might sound, shut up. It's playing football. Like well, walk a mile in my shoes, have a crap job, and you know I don't have a job or whatever. And mm-hmm. so, me sitting here praising a footballer for continually showing up to training, like that sounds ridiculous. But it in 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 the world of football, it, it can be hard for a lot of people, and particularly with the way things went from Maguire at Dundalk. You know, if you've been in England and then you come back, which is tough, and then you have the realization that. God, I can't get my game for the team here in the League of Ireland. That's, mm. and you can really go run and run with that kind mm. of a, a, a conversation oh, in yeah, your own no, head. Yeah, I do think it's understandable when football is the only thing that you've done, uh, you know, the only job that you've had. If it's all you've got, if it's all you've got, and it's not going well, all of a sudden your world starts caving. What the hell? And then am you actually I doing? don't have a job. So I know what you're saying about people mm. who maybe aren't working or aren't happy in their jobs, but the people you're talking about have come back without a career, without a trade necessarily, without qualifications or without enough qualifications and they don't have football 
to fall back on anymore. Do you do you know? Is there you mentioned you're doing some stuff with the PFAI on it? Is there a pathway back for people like that? You know, if you're really if I'm released from an English club tomorrow, uh, you know, presumably there'll be a couple of managers of League of Ireland sniffing around and all that kind of stuff. But is there an obvious pathway? Is are there people for me to kind of talk to about what I should do next? There's there, there's nothing formal set up at no. the moment. Actually, there, there's nothing, and a lot of players kind of fall through the gaps. Um, and, and I don't know how you would go about addressing that. It, it's yeah, I mean, if, you know, it's not even so much that they would fall through the gaps. I mean, I, I, it's probably a personal choice. You know, I mean, if you're coming back from an English club, you know, the the Irish football community is not so broad that you know that a guy like that would just be missed by every single League of Ireland club and every junior football club. Mm. You know, so you know there is, there is kind of a personal choice there. I mean, I understand that. Sure, there should be a pathway, but at the same time, if a guy doesn't want to play, then there's not a lot that you can do f- that you can do for them. Yeah, you're you're spot on. And I, I'm not actually doing any work with the PFA. I just had a, a couple yeah, of meetings sorry, with them over the years. Yeah, sorry, yeah. A, about it, and and it is that thing. You, you can set up all the designated body with and hire full time staff and put all the kind of. The, the promotional stuff and really market your your what you're doing to to the whole football community. But if if you're if you're being met with a player who for whatever reason doesn't want to play football anymore or just has completely demotivated, very little self worth anymore because he's just gone through the experience of England and been dropped and and he's taken that to heart and um and all the implications that that has, then there's not a lot you can do. I mean, you can make yourself available for giving any kind of psychological support. You can set up kind of training camps you can try and get them to to stay physically fitter in some kind of a training program because that's a difficult thing as well when you go from being a full-time athlete to being out of contract you just you've the the most basic thing if you're not as physically fit anymore you're not as active as you used to be and that 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 can have its problems as well John Caulfield wants him to stay in Cork and build a title winning team I don't think he will around him he's going back to the UK I don't I I, I don't know any inside information, but I would be surprised if he's there again next year. I don't think, like again, if you if, if you look at his his he's a great example of his career. Like when an opportunity comes up in football, there is absolutely no guarantee that, that a similar one is going to come up again. If you decide to say no. it's not the way football works, it it just isn't. And like an injury, if you, you like Luke Shaw, you, like Maguire, let's say he says no to whatever offer comes up. Or let's say Daryl Horgan decides to say no to the multiple offers he's going to get and said, you know, I'm going to give this another year. I love a Corker building here. I love what Dundalk are doing. I have a great relationship with Stephen Kenny or John Caulfield. And they have an injury or they've, they've, a dip in form or some of the other better players in the team leave. Maybe their manager leaves and all of a sudden it's a different club you're playing for. You're not doing as well and the club who wanted you in now have signed someone in a similar position to you because they needed that position filled. That's it. The offer is gone. So... League of Ireland fans are always kind of reluctant to to accept maybe that the right thing for a player to do is to leave here and go to England because they have this you know us against England thing, but it's like saying to a first division player in the Premier in in a League of Ireland don't move to the Premier Division like that's nonsense. If you have an offer to yeah. higher level, take it. Same with here. If you have an offer to go to a higher level, you need to consider it and take it because you mightn't get it again. Where that uh, where that argument does make a certain amount of sense, I think, is maybe. For the player who's sort of 16, 17, uh, you know, there's so many players that don't achieve it first time or anything. Maybe for them, it's better to stay around in uh, stay around in Ireland and, and, and kind of learn their trade a little bit, as so many of them are doing now, and go over when you're older. Although, again, you're, hope, you're hoping that that call then comes when you're 20, 21. Yeah, there, there isn't a kind of one-size-fits-all approach to this, cause you, and I've met a load of them, There's and particularly their parents, of, let's say, of a 17-year-old. And in some cases, they say, well, education-wise, what's, what's here and what's there? And some lads, just education is not a feature in their or their family's lives. So that's gone. And you think, well, socially and environmentally, where are they living here? Some lads, you say, you know, they're in a good family network and staying here as long as possible will be good for them. Others, you go, get him the hell out of where he lives right. very quickly. Look who he's hanging around with. Get him to England as quick as he can. And then football-wise, I, I, I've never... Once you go to the, 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 the education stuff, the family and the social stuff or the personal stuff, then when you talk about the football stuff, I've never seen a case where the two the, the two options on the table, the English one and the Irish one, where the Irish one was a better football option. The, the, there's no one here at the moment that can compete football-wise with anything that the clubs in England are offering. So you kind of have to take it on a case-by-case exam, uh, 
basis. Yeah, pretty sweet win for Cork City. I kind of get the impression that maybe not everybody at Cork has been quite as overjoyed about Dundalk's recent success as the rest of the country has. Maybe there's a bit of, there are a few gritted teeth down there. You can kind of understand it. Like, I mean, they've been runners up in the league now two or three times to Dundalk. They lost the league one night and the last night against Dundalk, they they lost the cup final to Dundalk last year in the 117th minute winner from Richie Tell. So, I wouldn't begrudge them no. not jumping on the Dundalk bandwagon <laughs> the way the way the rest of us have. And John Caulfield, the manager, actually said in the build up to the final that he felt that that, that his team and his players and, and him weren't getting the credit they deserved. So I think there is a little bit of uh, kind of whinging on their part that, that you know they're not getting the love that they feel that they should have. There's not a huge gulf in class between Cork and Dundalk. Mm. That there really isn't. So you understand the frustration that we're all kind of saying Dundalk are this marvelous thing. Um, but, and I actually I saw um, uh, an article on extratime.e by Gareth Penrose last week, and it was talking about average attendances and attendances in general at the League of Ireland. And for all of Dundalk's unbelievable success this year, Cork's attendance, average attendance is like it's basically the same. There's like two hundred in the difference, uh, two thousand seven hundred for Dundalk, two and a half thousand for Cork City, which in itself is is crazy. You know, it's it's it's, it's brilliant, and it shows that. Not alone are they very close to them on the pitch, but also off the pitch, they're pretty close to them as well. That the the attendance figures. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, there's a even the history of if you go back over the last few years, the the, the history of Cork and the difficulty that club have been in um, to get from where they were. Not unlike Dundalk, like Dundalk a few years ago were on their knees as well, and Cork were also. So to to you can understand. Why yesterday meant so much to them. I know they were in a cup final last year and the runners up in the league. So in in the majority of clubs in this country would go with that that's a wildly successful spell you're having. But the, the lack of a trophy or the lack of just kind of getting over the finishing line first was the thing that was always kind of being thrown back at them. And at the start of the season, John Caulfield said that he was under pressure to win things. Um and he's left it very, very late in the season to do so, but he got there. Richie. Brilliant stuff, thank you. Cheers, lads. Actually, hold on a second. I've made a, a bit of a mistake there. Richie can't be allowed go just yet. We need to make the official presentation here. Remember, ring that bell. This is big. Oh, I sort of half rung it. Do we want to spend more quality time with Richie Sadler here? Or is Always. this just an opportunity to plug the book? Well, a little from column A, a little from column B there, Unzi. Uh, Show the people what they can have, Murph. Okay. A little piece to camera there. There we go. That's the second captain's sports annual. Uh, and right at the very start of the book. Volume two, of course. Yeah. Uh, is At Home with Richie Sadler, where uh, Richie takes us through his twin loves of dogs and uh, carpentry. And uh, it, it uh, well, first of all, we should thank you, Richie, for opening the doors of your house uh, to us. Uh, some of the things we found there were uh, beautiful, others deeply disturbing <laughs> and wrong. Uh, but nevertheless, we thank you for your openness. Uh, and his beautiful dogs, Bobby, uh, Bailey, numerous others. Uh, yeah, it's a thing of beauty, Richie, and we thank you. Can we ask you which one is your favourite, Bobby or Bailey? Well, Bobby is mine. Bailey is loaned to me until January. So, Bobby. I couldn't possibly compare, <laughs> but it's Bobby. <laughs> your own favourite part of the Second Captain Sports Annual Volume 2? I'm sure you've been I've, feverishly I've, reading I've, it the last I've read it all. Yeah. Um, yeah. Every bit of it. Okay. And, and it, it would just be hard to, to pick any one item. It, I would right, you just seem a little vague it, on the content at the it, moment. It, no, it's because it's all my favourite. All, all the. All the so, book. But, but even if you could name some of the things yeah, that are one item in joint, the, your joint favourite things in the book, that since we gave it to you last week, how much of it? Yeah. I, I would know, say sure the, all, the, so. the features are good. The features. The features yeah. As opposed of, to the hard-hitting news pieces. The, yeah. the, the features of sports items. Sports-related content. The sports-related content is your favourite part of the book. Is that what you're saying? Uh, yeah, yeah, it would be. Okay. As well, I mean, my bit as well. Yeah. Totally objectively. You would recommend for our listeners and viewers and uh, anyone else to I get on the secondcaptains.com, buy I it for would, themselves, get it as a Christmas present for their loved ones. I would heartily recommend it. And was I right? Did I hear it's free postage? Free postage. You and, did and hear that. Two yeah. and correct. Yes. Yes. To where? Everywhere to in Ireland. Ireland. And the UK. And, and the, the UK. UK. That's yeah. a freaking steal. Yeah, it's it a long is. distance to the UK and yet free postage. I've been. I've, been. <laughs> <laughs> I've made that journey many times myself. Yeah. It's far. Secondcaptains.com. Richie Sadler, thank you. Cheers, lads. So Sam Cook, as you can see, like me, he's awful pretty. <laughs> and we are here now working on a record called The Gang's All Here. And uh, uh, Sam and I, we expect to have this out in another week or so. Would you like to give us uh, a preview of this disc? We, we'll do a lot better if we had the music here with us. Right, we're going to do it. We'll, we'll try now. Hey, hey, the gang's all here.
Join in the fun. <laughs> hey, hey, the gang's all here. We're gonna swing as one. Is Memphis with me? Yeah! Is Louisville with me? Yeah! Is Houston with me? Yeah! Am I the greatest? Okay, we touched on Liverpool a little bit earlier on. Let's get into into this a little bit more deeply now with Tony Barrett of Sports Show. Tony, uh, I'm just trying to get this tweet up here that you that you tweeted at the weekend. It says the cop were singing, if we still had Suarez, he'd be on the bench, <laughs> which is, I guess, a sign of the strength of uh, Liverpool's attacking unit at the moment. Yeah, it was. It was listen, they, were, they were clearly paying the, their own team a compliment. It was, it was tongue-in-cheek. I don't think there's anyone in the right mind who, who would... Look at Liverpool's attack despite its current brilliance and, and think it wouldn't benefit from having the player of Lewis Suarez's calibre. Uh, but that is where Liverpool are at the minute. It's fun. Uh, they're playing some fantastic football. The crowd turn up enjoying it. And, and they do look, uh, if not the te- best team in the country at the minute, because I think Chelsea have got a, a claim to that before there. And then they're certainly up there as one of the best teams in the country. And they're a team that, although it's early November, you have to say it. In the title race, the top of the league, they're playing some fantastic football, uh, and teams are getting not 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 just beaten by them. Teams are getting beaten heavily by Liverpool now. So uh, that's the cause of all this this merriment at Anfield. And it's the question is if it will end, and uh, there, there's no sign of that at the minute. Well, I mean, I suppose that the quality of Coutinho has been obvious for you know, ages, but it's the way he's dovetailing with Firmino, Mane, these kind of guys. It seems like between between the three of them, they've got a little bit of everything, certainly the way they're going at the moment. Yeah, and, and this is what, when when the appointed Jürgen Klopp, this is why they decided quite rightly that they needed top-class managers. These kind of situations, these scenarios where you start off with one player, Coutinho, he was already one of the best players in the team, but is not functioning as absolute best. And you have to figure out what you do, what kind of setup, what tactical scenarios, what signings you need to make to bring out the best. And, and what Klopp did straight away, he identified that if there was one player that wasn't going to make Coutinho play better, it was Christian Benteke. He went out of the picture. Uh, he, he, he made uh, Firmino more pivotal within the, within the team, gave him a, a bigger role and, and built the team around Firmino in, in lots of respects. But he also decided that well, we need a little bit more pace because if these players can have the space, to, the, the, the space they need to thrive in, they're going to have to be given that space by someone else who's a bit more selfless, who, who creates an apple bit. And that's where they then go for Sadio Mane. And, and one of the, the byproducts of that, unfortunately, Danny Sturridge, is that he doesn't fit into that. So this is absolute management. It's identifying the way you want to play, the players that you, you will need to, to play that way, and then putting into practice. And that is why this, this triumvirate has become so effective. It's all because the, the, the management of Jürgen Klopp making the most of their individual talent and making sure that they do dovetail. And, and they do as a three. There is not a better attack and three in England at the moment, and I include Manchester City three in that. Uh, De Bruyne, uh, Aguero, and Sterling. Uh, I think Liverpool's front three is couldn't be more effective. That's not saying that individually the better players. The thing is, you look at Aguero, De Bruyne, and Sterling. They, they, they certainly evidence to dispute that. But as a three, they're working better than anyone at the minute. Would you throw Adam Lallana into that category as well of somebody who's been sort of given at least a life by Jurgen Klopp? He was described by Carragher before, Jamie Carragher, as a nearly man, Lallana. He nearly scores, he nearly sets one up, he nearly pulls it off. Yeah, yeah, quite right too. But yeah. he's starting to do it now. Yeah, listen, I'm, I'll, 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 I'm putting my hand up at Jamie Carragher. I, I would have been one of the ones who, who, who thought probably this time last year that this was last chance saloon for, for Adam Lallana he was lucky to have that last chance saloon I thought he was a player who was destined to be the first taken off every week before he got sold uh, and now now when he does come off the pitch he's come off to a standing ovation and, and this is this is something else that Klopp has done he's, he's redefined the roles of a few players he's done it for James Milner who's now the inventor of the left back having struggled for me in central midfield uh, he's redefined the role of, of Jordan Henderson who's now deep lying playmaker or holding the field, whatever, way, whatever the term you want to use, he's now the deepest of Liverpool's midfields, having previously been the most advanced. And he's given Adam Olana that, that midfield role, that player who, who links the midfield and the attack. And he's taken some of the pressure away from him in terms of scoring goals. And, and he is looking a completely different player. 
Liverpool is a front a front four. I know Lane is the midfielder in that, but he is part of that front four. And when teams come to to Anfield now, or uh, call when Liverpool visit them, they work. They're trying to work out how you can stop those front four interchanging. How you can stop the Lana from from leaving the press, which pins you back. How you can stop them coming out from all different angles, and no one's yet come up with any answers, uh, unless your answer is to give up your any idea you have of playing any any kind of attack and football, because that's what Manchester United did, uh, and that's what Burnley did. Although they did get two breakaways, which which they took full advantage of, but besides that, teams are just struggling with with, with that, and the Lana is at, at the heart of it. Uh, just a quick word as well on Stephen Gerrard while we have you on, Tony. It looks like you know the, the LA Galaxy were knocked out yesterday, and uh, it seems as though Gerrard is going to hang up the boots. There's always talk of how there's going to be a place for him at Liverpool and this kind of this kind of thing. It, it, is Stephen Gerrard in, in some sort of a coaching capacity? Would he be a welcome addition? Do you think for Jurgen Klopp at this stage, or the fact that Klopp is trying to build this new thing, might he be? almost better off without a sort of club legend like Stephen Gerrard being in some way uh, a, a sort of um, another hand of the tailor there? I think there's role for Stephen Gerrard at Liverpool. I, I think when you see the effect he has on, especially young players, uh, I, I think there, is, there has to be a role. I think what he achieved at Liverpool, what he means in the city. Uh, I think Liverpool's links with its own community are not as strong as they could be. Uh, I think when you have a captain who is of the city, an ex-captain, I think that would be helpful. Uh, but I think defining that role is very, very difficult. If he comes in, I don't think he'd be part of Klopp's coaching team. I think Klopp has his team and that, that is the way he operates. I think when he came as manager, that was why he said, these people come with me. He essentially enforced that. I don't think he's looking to, any addition, to have any additional coaches on his staff. But that doesn't mean there can't be a role for Steven Gerrard at Liverpool. But it may well be that it's a different type of role. It may well be that it's a role that, in some ways, has to be invented. Uh, he was he was kept on. He was retained as an ambassador after he left the club as a player. Uh, and that I think that ambassadorial role continues. But I think that can also be extended to coaching, certainly the junior level of the academy. Uh, he is he is the poster boy for Liverpool's academy. And with Klopp, what you're seeing is, is the under-23 team matters to him. He's now looking to develop and. Uh, these players, Alexander Arnold, the Jari who came on uh, in the win against Wofford, uh, and the, the others who he's looking at, Ben Woodburn. So to have someone there who's been through what these young players have been through, who know what it is to emerge in the academy to, to be a player of, of the city of Liverpool and play for Liverpool, I think that's a definite asset. But it is that it's important that that, that role would be defined if that if that is indeed the role they're looking at. I mean, people are Martin coming back as a player, Klopp. Uh, kill that idea when, when that was first mentioned seven, eight months ago. He said, No, there's no possibility that. So people need to do that one out. But to me, there should be a place for Steven Gerrard at Liverpool, but it's also been the right place. All right, fair enough. Tony, great stuff. Thanks, Mill. Cheers. Good to speak to you, gents. What do you think about Gerrard as a coach in some capacity at Liverpool again? Um, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, is he is he coach? Uh... Well, he's not going to play. Uh, I, I mean, yeah. it seems pretty clear. He's not, he, he, we should probably mention that he didn't actually start that game against Colorado Rapids. Uh, I think he came off the bench. Kevin Doyle's minutes, Colorado so. Rapids. Yeah, Kevin Doyle. Um, helping his team to the, uh, the final um, incoming. No, he came game. on late and scored a penalty which proved beyond Ashley Cole's ability to. Robbie Keane was injured and couldn't take a penalty because uh, he'd done his groin uh, in his own substitute appearance. So it looks as though two of them might be on the well it looks as though Jared's definitely on, on his way out there and it seems as though maybe Robbie Keane might be as well so um, I guess that'll become clearer over the next few days as to what Liverpool uh, Stephen Jared could do with Liverpool I mean it's, it's a strange one I mean on the one hand uh, you know a lot of these English clubs um, have you know for, uh, Bayern Munich is, is always held up as the example of a, of a club which uh, which is kind of, to, to a certain extent, run by its great ex-players. Um, but I wonder, you know, you've got guys like Uli Jonas, Franz Beckenbauer, uh, Karl-Heinz Rummenigge, uh, who have been running Bayern for years. But I wonder to what extent that's because of, you know, an enlightened policy by Bayern towards their former players, or did they just happen to have a kind of exceptional mm. group of business-minded former players who actually would be good at that job. I don't think necessarily having been a footballer means that you have a meaningful, are going to be a good administrator. 
you know, at a, at a club. I mean, is, is Stephen Gerrard a, a Niall Quinn type? He's the way Niall Quinn could could Palmas to people of Sunderland, like, you know, Palmas is maybe the wrong word. Palmas maybe <laughs> suggests a kind of element of bullshit, uh, which I think wasn't, you know, I mean, Quinn, Quinn was kind of a guy who really knew how to talk to the town, let's say, um, and to represent the club, I think, in a way that they they wanted to be. I mean, Jared has always struck me as kind of more of an introverted and, uh, you know, a kind of a shy person who doesn't necessarily want to be out there meeting and greeting people. You know, he's not like David Beckham. You know, he's not he's not that type of um, polished kind of outgoing individual. Um, it strikes me that he's been in L.A. pining for Liverpool all this time. I mean, he clearly has a deep attachment to the club, loves the club, but there's lots of people in Liverpool who have a deep attachment to the club and love the club and aren't necessarily going to be much used to it. I mean, the, the question for them, I suppose, is what, uh, what role do they invent for him you know what what's the uh you know do they do they do they invent an ambassadorial host for steve jared and send him around the world sort of fretting and being introverted <laughs> <laughs> i'm not sure if we'll suit his personality uh, traits yeah yeah i mean look I, I don't know i mean he he maybe he does have some some big contribution to make i, I think i mean klopp has said there'll always be room for him here but anything we say to each other is going to be secret in those talks, which I think was as much a message to, to the other side as anything else. Let's work out what this is going to be before we, before anyone starts saying, oh, yeah, no, I'm going back up. There's a role for me. You know, let's just work out what that's going to be first. Let's, let's work that out between ourselves. So I'm sure they'll be able to work something out, and hopefully everyone will be will be happy. Because, you know, it does seem like he, he, he was their greatest player of the last, you know, 20 years, no doubt. And... It would feel like a pity if they if they couldn't sort of make use of him somehow. It's just difficult to know. I mean, the things that he was great at were uh, were kind of on field things, which he can't do anymore. So um, so he's got to work out other things that he can be good at. Ken, don't work too hard over there in Lisbon for the next day or two. You've got a presidential campaign, presidential election, I should say, to stay awake for on Tuesday night, Wednesday morning. Yeah, I know. The the one thing about those elections is that the results are usually out surprisingly early, aren't they? Um, well, if they're definitive, you, they, uh, yeah, yeah. well, you, you'll get that in a rigged election, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> the results are out uh, now if you yeah. choose to look for them. Yeah, I mean, I, we get to find out whether uh, enough of the American people uh, are are willing to buy this crazed revenge fantasy that Donald Trump has been, you know, flogging for the last uh, year and a half. I've read so many pieces about like how you know we need to be more respectful of of the people who voted for Donald Trump, but I'm just, I'm sorry, I've, I can't do it anymore. I started out reading, I was like, yeah, yeah, okay, you know, some people are protected by the government, some people are unprotected, you know, but I can I can see how this works, urban, rural divide and all that, but no, I'm sorry, like, it's just not the, it's, it's just not an appropriate response. I mean, this is not going to solve your problem. You know, if you want to, if you, if, 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 if people in middle America are, um, you know, are angry that their way of life is falling apart. Maybe they should stop voting for people like Donald Trump, who, who every time they get elected, want to give tax cuts to like the richest people in America. Donald Trump wants to give six trillion dollars to the like wealthiest one percent. You know, that's that's the price of his tax cut. Almost six trillion dollars, and ninety nine percent of it goes to the richest one percent. Now, that alone is enough to bring America to its knees. And for some reason, the people who are voting for it, the people who, the people who seem excited by it, are the people who will be screwed over by it the most but you know i mean it even if he even if he if he loses i mean it does look likely that he will lose um but even if he does lose it's you know it's it's obviously a bigger thing than him i mean i saw i was watching him over the weekend and he can't he says some of the most amazing he just comes out with some amazing stuff i mean for instance you know he's got this repeated thing that he's doing in his speeches recently uh, we are going to go to Washington D.C. and we are going to drain the swamp. And everyone says it along. Says drain the swamp. And then he starts commenting on his own line. He he says like, oh, you know, I thought it was such a hokey line. You know, I thought, nah, I don't want to say it. So I thought it was corny. But they said they were like, nah, I say it. And then you know, I said it. And then I saw the reaction of the crowd. And you know, I'm now I'm like, oh, now I'm going around saying it everywhere. And I was like, that's amazing, like that he would say that because it's such an insightful comment about his entire campaign. Like he just is saying. Whatever will whip up rooms full of people, you know. I mean, he's literally saying, "Well, the drain the swamp." Well, it's just a lot of nonsense. Then he says it. People start screaming, going, going nuts. And he's like, 
oh, okay, keep that one in. You know what I mean? I'm not, the entire the entire program is basically just a collection of things that will fire up a, a room. You know, it's just the entire thing is just such nonsense. But what it what it tells you is that like it's he's not the important part of it. He's he's only the sort of current uh, current sort of voice, the current uh, figurehead of this thing that's out there and it could be someone else coming along saying exactly the same things and uh, probably getting pretty much the same reaction and that's not going to be any different even if he loses this thing uh, tomorrow we've got another podcast out today and it's a beauty it's an Ireland well it's a celebration of Ireland beating New Zealand for the first time in our history it sounds pretty good to say and we'll be probably just repeating that line over and over again for the podcast there might be some guests and stuff I don't know who, who knows We're just gonna we'll get different people to say we'll get different line, people so. to say the same line probably do it for about an hour that sounds, if that sounds good to you have a listen uh, just scroll down there we'll have it out today Monday thanks very much Ken thanks Owen thanks very much Kieran. And thanks Ken thanks, thanks Owen thank you too Kieran. take care thanks for listening New Zealand to Ryan Trotty getting for the try on the near side of the pitch. Oh, yeah, I don't believe it. Ryan Trotty scores. Oh, my goodness. They've managed it. It's 22 each. Have we got a chance? Uh, no. No, uh, I genuinely would be happy with a 20-point differential. What? I think, I think that would be a success, yeah. Losing by 20 points would be a success? Yeah. Come on. Losing by 20 points would be a success? Yeah. Come on. Six minutes to play. Now Mario out of Carberry, still running with the ball, Zebo in a bit of space, and there's plenty of room too, All Blacks flying back in defence, off it goes to Julian Sarvera, he can't go anywhere, five metres scrum. Oh, what a play from Ireland, this is it really, this is it for Ireland, they can put this in, this one out of reach. I don't expect, I do not expect them, unless they are demanded to by the referee to release this ball from the scrum. Less than five minutes. Here's Heaslip. Well, he picks it up quickly and off he goes. Drops it off the Henshaw! Robbie Henshaw scores it! They did it! He bangs it down and oh my goodness, I think Kiro Sullivan just could be at Florida. Handy conversion for Joey Carberry to make his contribution on debut. All Blacks charge. Up go the flags! in the making and they are really good for an island they deserve this and what a night it's going to be what a triumph it is for joe smith kiwi boy who's engineered some real history into the grandstand it goes Ireland beat the all blacks for the first time Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.